Well, I found myself lying under the bathroom sink, laughing. So a couple years ago, we moved into our, our current home, and we were making it our own, right? We were renovating it, we were renewing it, and I installed a new cabinet in our downstairs bathroom. And one day, I was lying under that small cabinet, installing a, a double-handle faucet. And that's when I found myself laughing. It hit me. It finally hit me. It took a few years for the realization to sink in. I had become my dad. (laughs) I was my dad. I was holding a crescent wrench, and it was painted bright orange because my dad always painted his tools bright orange so they wouldn't get left in the dark spaces or in the crawl spaces, right? And it was the same brand of wrench that my dad had trusted for decades, and I trusted it because he trusted it. And I was laying on my back in a very specific position that I had seen the master plumber lay on his back in very specific positions to get into small cabinets and reach up and work on the basin. But not only that, like, the realization really hit me when I was looking up and I saw how I was holding the wrench and how I was turning the wrench because that's exactly how I saw my father hold and turn the wrench for years and that's how he taught me to do it. I had become my dad. So there I was hundreds of miles away from Colorado, right? hundreds of miles away from him, 14 years removed from being his apprentice. But there I was. I was imaging him, right? I was bearing his resemblance, doing the work the way he did the work. And if anybody who knew my dad was watching me, they would say, this guy has been with Gene. That's my dad, by the way, Gene. So the reality of how apprenticeship works hit me with a certain kind of simple joy that day. It's a union with that master plumber, a relationship that I was called into by him led to being with him, abiding with him, spending a ton of time with him on that plumbing truck, spending a ton of time with him in bathrooms and in crawl spaces. And that abiding with him led to learning from him, led to obeying him. I had to pick up the wrench myself, right? I had to pick up the torch myself and solder those joints and... Now, all those years later, there I was imaging him. I had been conformed to my father's image. So in this little gospel meets blue-collar story, we, we see the way of apprenticeship. We see how Jesus transforms us into his likeness. We've talked about this as the paradigm of apprenticeship, union, abiding, obeying, and imaging. Union, abiding, obeying, and imaging. So let's go ahead and do that slide. Put that slide up there just so we can get that visual in our head. Union with Jesus. We are united to Jesus by his work, his his life, his death, his ministry, his resurrection. He ascended. He sent his spirit. Now he has drawn us in to the triune life of God. We are united to him that we might be able to live this life with him because his spirit is within us, that we might be able to obey him and walk like him and love like him. And he is conforming us to his image. So with that said, with that paradigm in our head, let's move from blue collars to green thumbs, okay? Let's go to green thumbs. Let's move from 
plumbing to temple architecture and Jesus' master class of apprenticeship while on the road with his friends. Now, I realize we have preached on John 15 just recently, but we're going to find more treasure as we dig into its rich soil today. It's awesome. This chapter is just so fertile. So let's set the stage. Let's take a walk with Jesus. Let's go with Jesus on the road. Jesus has just had the Passover meal. He has just dined with his closest of friends. He has humbly served them. He got down on his knees. He washed their dirty feet. He's taught them. They laughed over dinner. They had a serious conversation over dinner. But dinner's now over, and they've left the upper room. The candles have been snuffed out. The door is closed. Their feet are on the road. And Jesus and his apprentices are on their way east of the city. They're on their way to the Kidron Valley because they are going to go down into that Kidron Valley and they're going to rise up on the hill on the other side, go to the Mount of Olives and go to a garden there that is called the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus will pray and sweat blood. In the garden, Jesus will be betrayed and in that garden, he will be arrested. So this is an approximation of the route that they would have taken. Gethsemane is to the east. You can see the temple up there on the big temple mount. The upper room was somewhere in that upper part of the city there where that chalice is. They would have walked down and around where the temple was and down into that valley. You can see it swoop down and then swoop up and on their way to Gethsemane. Now somewhere along this walk, Jesus talks about the vine and the branches. And here's the thing. Traditionally, the location of that upper room would have them traveling by that temple on their way east. The temple just absolutely dominated the landscape of the city of Jerusalem. The white stone and the fashioned gold would, sh- would shine in the sun. They would shine in the lamplight at night. Now what many people are unaware of is that on brilliant display over the door of that massive temple was a golden vine with large clusters of golden grapes. So here's how the Mishnah puts it. The Mishnah is a book of the Jewish teachers. It's of the oral law written down. And it says this in the Mishnah. A golden vine stood over the entrance to the sanctuary, trained over posts, and whosoever gave a leaf, a berry, or a cluster as a freewill offering, he brought it and the priests hung it thereon. So people would have these gold bits, whether it's actually just one grape or a leaf. And they would have these fashioned and bring it as an offering and they would add it to this vine. It would grow and grow and grow over the temple door. Now Josephus, the historian, he's a Jewish historian who lived shortly after the time of Jesus. He wrote the following. He said, that gate, which was at the end of the first part of the house or the the door to the temple there, as we have already observed, all over covered with gold, as was its whole wall about it, It had also golden vines above it, from which clusters of grape hung as tall as a man's height. Okay? You get some scope of how big this thing is? As tall as a man's height. So again, wealthy benefactors would add their contributions to the growing vine. A gold sprig here, a gold grape there, a gold leaf over here. Okay, so what? So what? Well, the amazing so what is that this artificial vine hung over the doorway to the temple, to the presence of God, and it represented the people of Israel. 
Throughout the scriptures, throughout the Old Testament, the people of God are called a vine on a number of occasions, and God is the vine dresser. Right? God is the gardener who is seeking the flourishing of his people. Right? He tends to them. So in Psalm 80, it tells us that God brought a little vine out of Egypt, and he took them to a, a land that he had cultivated and set aside for them, and he planted this vine that he ripped up out of Egypt, put it in fertile soil so it could grow far and wide. Of course, that's referring to what? Right? The exodus, like God taking his people out of slavery and bringing them to the promised land. Isaiah gives a famous parable about the vine that God, the gardener, loved, but it only produced sour grapes. It's a real bad wine, right? Wild grapes. And so Jesus, in his master class on the road, contrasts himself to this vine. And it's likely that as they were passing the temple, he saw the vine, and as Jesus often did with object lessons, he said, see that? I am the true vine. That's the artificial Vine. I am the true Israel, the one through which people connect to God, the one through which life comes to this world, the one through, through which fruit comes to the branches. I am the true vine. It's through relationship with Jesus that fruit comes into this world, that life is seen in this world. So he says he is the true vine through which people are united to God. Now, Jesus is going to tell us over and over and over again, be with me, be with me, be with me. Because true life and true salvation, they are found in being in the vine that is Jesus. They are found in being with Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to see how all this works. So let's follow the, the green thumb logic of it all. We'll pick up at verse 1, John 15. Um, and work our way through verse 11. So verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. All right, we'll, we'll stop there. Uh, first, there's union, right? There is union. The branches are united. They are integrated into the vine. See, to be a Christian doesn't mean that you've just decided to make some, some better choices. It doesn't mean that you just decided to do something that's a little bit more moral over here, and maybe something a little bit more moral than you used to over, over here. It, it means that you're united to the eternal God. It, it means... A miracle has happened that someone who is spiritually dead has become spiritually alive and they are united to God. Second Peter talks about us as Christians being partakers of the divine nature. That's one of those verses where you're just like, like boom, right? Partakers of the divine nature? That's incredible. So to be a Christian means that we are drawn into the eternal life of mutual love and mutual delight of the, of the triune God. We are brought into this good life of joy. And this union happens, why? Well, because there is a good gardener who is taking us out of the land of death and he is putting us into a garden. He, was, he is gardening everything for our flourishing to bring about fruit. And this vine dresser is our heavenly father. 
And our passage tells us that this gardener is at work cultivating flourishing, and he does two key things here. He cuts off fruitless branches, and he prunes fruitful branches. So we're going to come back to that, so hold on to that. Now, this union makes possible abiding. Because we're united to this God, now we can be with him. And so this word in our, in our verses here uh, is the word abide. Um, so that, that's the verb of, of the noun abode. Anybody here have an abode? You know, we, we live in an abode, like, welcome to my humble abode. You say that when people come over, right? Welcome to my abode, right? You abide in your abode, okay? You dwell in your home. It is the place where you live. So this idea of abiding means to, to be with, to dwell, to make your home. So let's see how Jesus uses this in verses 4 through 9. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. What it would have been like to be with Jesus on this walk. Can you imagine that? Hearing this, walking in the, in the evening, cool air, hearing him teach this. The miracle of union with Jesus leads to being with Jesus. And in, in short, you could sum this passage up that I just read with Jesus saying, Be with me. Just be with me. Be with me. Be with me, be with me, be with me, be with me. He ultimately says it eight times. Live a with Jesus life. This is core to what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be an apprentice. It's a with Jesus life. Just as the branch's home is being plugged into that vine that the sap runs through and delivers life, we are to abide with Jesus. And abiding with Jesus is the proper response to the gift of salvation. It's how we respond to what he has already done. The, that sap of life flows through him and flows into and through us. And so you could say it this way. There's two options for a branch, right? To get the life from the vine or to be dead wood. To die and to be dying. To live and to be living. These are the two options. One leads to fruitfulness. Another one leads to being kindling or firewood in the words of Jesus. And Jesus says that only through him can fruit come into our lives. Now, no one would expect, like if I were, if I keep breaking branches off this thing, like it's going to just completely fall to pieces, right? But like if I, if I were to like drop this thing over here at some point, and like you wouldn't stare at that and wait for that to pop out some fruit, right? I mean, this thing's dead in the first place, but you get it, right? Like that being separated from the vine, you're not going to look at that and go, oh, just give it some time, you know, spill your, cu your water cup on it, and eventually 
some fruits going to pop out of that, right? Because we understand it's disconnected from the life source. But here's the weird bit. We don't take that same kind of a principle and apply it to our, our spiritual life. We expect fruits to come while we are working and striving when we are not abiding. Like we operate this way all the time. We are working hard. Here's the deal. Some of us are working really, really hard to be good people. And it is exhausting you. And you are striving, you are stretching, you are, are grasping, you are putting all your sweat equity into somehow being this better person. And you know the fruit that you're getting? Frustration, confusion, exhaustion, exasperation. You're asking yourself questions like, why am I still thinking these self-destructive thoughts? Why am I still so toxic why can't i control my anger why am i so wildly impatient why am i so anxious why am i so reactive when i know in my head it doesn't help the situation why because the reality is many of us are striving and seeking trying to pop out some kind of fruit from being dead wood When, if we were plugged into the vine, the life of Christ himself would flow through us, and in his time, the fruit would show, right? You graft that branch into that life-giving vine. Death turns to life, barrenness turns to blooming, futility turns to fruitfulness. Now, a word on fruitfulness here, on the fruit. Yeah, the fruit has to do with us doing good works, doing good things, but those good works and those good actions come out of of our heart's soil, right? The primary fruit. The primary fruit is what is called the fruit of the Spirit. And so we turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 5. This is the Apostle Paul. He talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, verses 22 through 25. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let's walk with the Spirit. Let's walk this with Jesus life. And so as we abide with Jesus, we grow in likeness to him. Being with him, we begin to become like him. See, there's a a fundamental principle about human, human beings. You see it in yourself, you see it in your teenagers, you see it in, in your toddlers, you see it out there in, in the world as, as you look at what's popular and what's not and how people are responding. And it's simply this, we, we become like what we behold. We become like what we behold. What we look at, we begin to look like. Right? You, you start to enter into a new circle of friends. They dress a certain way, say certain things, and give it a couple weeks. And guess what? You're wearing different kinds of shirts. You're wearing different sneakers. There's different words in your vocabulary. Why? You are starting to become like what you behold. And see, Jesus is the source of our love, our peace, our joy, our patience, our kindness, our goodness, our faithfulness, and our gentleness, and our self-control. 
It is his spirit that produces those things. When we look at him, we see those heart postures and the actions that flow out of it. And as we abide with this Jesus, those things are then cultivated in us by the power of his spirit. And then those things change our actions. The fruit is coming out of the vine naturally through us as the branches rather than a broken branch trying to muster up the fruit, trying to duct tape that fruit onto itself, which will only rot in time. And so we are called to abide in this with Jesus life, to be with him. And so remember the turning of the wrench under that sink, right? That time being with my father, watching him, affected me, changed me. Um, Apprenticeship was caught and taught. So years later, I was now working like the master had worked. So only through abiding with our master will the fruit of the spirit grow in our lives. You can't white knuckle it. Now, there's another part of this, and this is a word that many people don't like. This is a word that a lot of people wish um, we wouldn't talk about, and it's this word obeying. See, obedience to Jesus is evidence of our love for Jesus. In, In John 14, he says, if you love me, help me out, you will obey me. Now, we have a gag reflex when it comes to that word because we live in a broken world where people have used that word and this understanding of obedience to dominate and to be tyrannical and to hurt and to crush people rather than to lift them up and lead them towards flourishing. When Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me, he knows that in obeying him, living in accordance with reality, living with the grain of the world, will bring flourishing to our souls, to our lives, to our families, and to our communities, right? So in verse 10, he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in me. So he links being with him and doing what he says. He links being with him and trusting his word. He links abiding and he links that with obeying. See, love wants to abide with the beloved, right? And then as we spend time with this one, we see how good and beautiful and true he is. And so we trust his word, and so we we live in accordance with that word, and then we realize, man, he's awesome. He's so good. What does the Bible say? It says, taste and see that the Lord is is just uh, no fun to follow. Taste and see how good he is. Taste and see how sweet the fruit is of following this Jesus. This is the life we are called into. So it, it, it makes no sense, but it's so common to say, yeah, I love this Jesus, I love this abiding thing, but this obeying thing, just, just not for me. Right? That's like legalism. That's not of grace. I'm not down with that. I just want to be with. Imagine a painter's apprentice. Sculptor's apprentice. Imagine them sitting in that studio all day long all week long, all month long, years, years, and years. They like to watch that master painter. They like to talk about that master painter. They like to blog about that master painter. They like to find Greek and Hebrew words about that master painter. They like to sit in circles and tell people what they think about that master painter. But they never pick up a brush 
They never walk over to the canvas to actually study color theory. Like they, they don't pick up that palette knife. They don't pick up that palette, and they never apply the master's strokes. Are they an apprentice? It seems like they're a lurker, <laughs> like a loiterer, a lingerer, maybe a fan. But are they an apprentice? Now, does that mean they're always applying paint on the canvas? No, there's times where you sit and you be and you listen and you watch. And especially when you're first coming into a church community and you're trying to figure all this stuff out and you just need to dwell and be and, and see what's happening. So I'm not saying you're always doing this furious activity, obey, obey, obey. But if you never take him at his word, how can you say you trust him? If you never pick up the paint or the palette, are you the painter's apprentice? Questions we should be asking. And, and I, I just, I, 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 think, I think there's a lot of people hanging around the painting studio. I think there's a lot of people who've never picked up or are not picking up the brush or who are not walking to the easel. And, and let me make it very clear. Um, when, I, when I say the painter's studio, I mean the Western church. That there's a lot of fans and a lot of, lot of lingerers. And when we call people into the joy of picking up a paintbrush to be a part of painting a portrait of our king in this world, they balk and say, who are you to tell me what to do? It's like, whoa, not me, Jesus. He's just saying, follow me. Enter into this life of joy. Abiding and obeying. It's like inhale, exhale, right? Abiding. You're breathing in who he is and how he lives and his beauty. Exhale. You're acting that out in the world. You're practicing it, abiding and obeying. Taste and see he's good. Psalm 1611, one of my favorite verses, says, He makes known to us the way of life. He, our God, makes known to us the way of life. That's the road. That's how you live. And in his presence is the fullness of joy. So right there we have the way we walk, how we go about this life, the things we do, but then in his presence is his joy. We abide with him. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Proverbs 13, 20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Isn't that good? Whoever walks with the wise will become wise. But whoever is the companion of fools will suffer harm. See, we are formed by who we abide with and by what we do. And those two work in a circular kind of spiral um, function. Who we abide with and what we do. There are a lot of people who applaud grace, but they gag on, on the talk of obedience. You know, God loves me. God, God loves me, so don't talk to me about, you know, these things. That's just legalism and earning. Yes, you're so right. He loves you, but here's the deal. He loves you so much, he's not going to stamp of approval the way you're living that's destroying you and destroying other people. He says, live this way. This is the way of life. Don't live this way. This is the way of death, and it is destroying you and eating you like a cancer from the inside out. Feast on me and live. We are saved by grace, saved by the salvation he earned and freely gave, and in light of that grace, we live differently. We, as Galatians says, we walk by the Spirit, right? So verse 11, verse 11 of John 15, 
says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. So this is how he's summing up this portion. He said, I'm talking to you about union, about abiding, about obeying. I'm talking to you about these things. Why? So that you might have life and life to the full, that you might know the joy of living as you were designed to live and meeting your intended aim as an image bearer who works with other image bearers to show forth the glory of a good God in his good world. That's what this is about. Enter into this life of apprenticeship. So union with Jesus through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension leads to us being with him by the power of the Spirit, which leads to us walking with him, obeying him, which leads to imaging him, the one who was full of joy. Jesus was the one full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And as we follow him, those grow in us. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Now, there's a bit of a hard word in here, too. Um, this is where I, I want to talk about cutting off and trimming up. Can we, can we talk about something hard here for a few minutes? John 5, verse 2. Or excuse me, John 15, verse 2. So let's go back to John 15, verse 2. This is where he said, Every branch... Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Okay, that's, that's a challenge. And then verse 5 and 6, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered. They are thrown into the fire and burned. There are two ways to go about this, this thing called life, right? To abide with Jesus or to not. And each one of these has its consequences. So to abide with Jesus, well, let's start with the negative. To not abide. To not abide with him leads to God turning us over to our own self-destructive ways. Paul talks about this in Romans, that that a refusal to live in accordance with the beautiful function of the vine, of how life flows, leads to a judgment of being turned over to our self-destructive ways that eventually tear us and our communities apart. Branches that don't have the, the, the sap of the vine flowing through them don't produce the life-giving fruit. And Jesus says they're, they're like the dead wood. Like th- this comes from a vineyard just in Livermore. And they were going to burn this thing because it was dead wood. So it was in a pile. And I rescued it out of the pile because I thought it would be fun to put it in the pulpit. But this was going to be burned. It was dead wood. It wasn't producing any fruit. And Jesus says, A life lived disconnected from him, the very source of all that's good, beautiful, and true, will lead to being thrown into the, the, the trash heap. There's, there's no, nothing good there. It's death that leads to death. To, to be with him, though, to be with him, that leads to pruning. Now, that's a surprise at first, unless you really know gardening. You'd be like, to be with him leads to a ton of fruit, and it's awesome. No problems in your life. No, he says, to be with him leads to pruning. If you're bearing fruit, he's going to cut you back. See, my dad, um, 
man, he would go to town on trees in our yard. I would watch as a little kid, and I'd tell my mom, I remember one time I asked my mom, like, why is dad mad at that tree? Because he was out there, like, it looked like a stick. And the next season, that thing came back in full because all the energies were directed towards those healthy branches, and the fruit on that thing was bowing the limbs, right? If he loves us, he's going to cut the cancers out of our soul, Those things, those little habits that you're doing that are leading towards selfishness and self-destruction, he says that, that needs to go. And he lovingly wields his pruning shears and snips. And it hurts. It hurts. So if he loves you, he will discipline you. Just like we love our kids, we will discipline our kids. So my admonishment here, encouragement is this. Don't confuse his loving pruning with the judgment that comes from rejecting the vine of life. Don't confuse his loving pruning with the judgment that comes from rejecting the vine of life. If you are following him and suddenly there's something being cut out of your life, instead of going, why do you hate me? Say, thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving me. And don't take this clip out of context and put it online. But thank you for loving the hell out of me, Jesus. You are literally cutting that which is hellish out of me that heaven on earth might be here in me. May it be so. Thank you. Thank you. So friends, through the practices of apprenticeship that we talk about, scripture meditation, unceasing prayer, life together, unhurried presence, joyful generosity, compassionate gentleness with one another, faithful witness, let's be with him. Let's be with him. And and here's my my big point in a simple sentence. Simple sentence. Three words. Here's our gospel application. Be with Jesus. What if the the main goal of your day, from the time that you woke up, was, I want to be with Jesus today? What if that was your big aim and everything fell under that umbrella? Be with Jesus at breakfast. Be with Jesus at your lunch meeting. Be with Jesus at the dinner party. Be with Jesus in the sorrow that you're going to face. Be with Jesus in the depression that you're in. Be with Jesus in the anxiety that is rattling about in your soul. Be with Jesus during your performance reviews. Be with Jesus on your commute to work. Be with Jesus in that discussion with your spouse that you know is going to be hard. Be with Jesus in that counsel with your kids. Be with Jesus at the game with friends. Be with Jesus on that first date. Be with Jesus as you scroll your feed. Be with Jesus as you post that post. Be with Jesus in your confusion. Be with Jesus when you're stumbling through your prayers and feel like I'm a terrible prayer. Be with Jesus as you search the scriptures. Be with Jesus. What if that was the big headline over your day? You wake up. I don't know if you get a shower first or brush your teeth first or you stretch or whatever you're doing, but what if one of the first thoughts was, help me be with you today, Jesus. My goal today is to be with you, and I can do that no matter what happens. Isn't that cool? No matter what happens in your day. Like, no matter what. Awful day, amazing day, like, bleh, mad day. You can be with him throughout the whole thing. So let's circle back to the beginning. I was laughing under the sink, right? Because I become my dad. (laughs) 
I'd become my dad. And if anybody knew my dad was watching me that day, if anyone who had known him was watching me, they would have said, this guy has been with Gene, right? You know, there's this incredible story from the book of Acts. It's in Acts chapter 4, 13, and here's, here's what's going on. Two fishermen, these two blue-collar guys, were turning the city of Jerusalem upside down because they were teaching and preaching about Jesus, and they were teaching and preaching in power, and they were working miracles. And the religious leaders, the scribes, the, the loiterers and the lingerers, they were ticked off, they were annoyed, so they arrest Peter, and they arrest John. As Peter stands before them to explain what's going on, he gives this gut punch of a sermon that's just saturated with Old Testament scriptures that point to Jesus. And then we get this verse. Such a verse. Check this out. Acts 4.13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Come on, how good is that? They saw that they had been with Jesus. They saw that they had been with Jesus because they looked like Jesus. The branches of their life were heavy with Jesus-like fruit, and they couldn't deny the fact that they looked like him. So what if people didn't say about us that we looked like that master painter or that we look like that master plumber or that we look like that guru or that thought leader or that famous author or that famous pastor what if they said of us they've been with Jesus they have been with Jesus that one right there is an apprentice of the king that fruit has a strange fragrance of being Christ-like. Be with Jesus. Do what it takes to reroute your schedule. Do what it takes to rework your energies, to reallocate your resources, to prune the stuff from your life that is inhibiting your time with him. Be with Jesus. And may this world look at you and say, man, they've been with the King of Kings. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good. You are gracious. I thank you for the joy of following you. I thank you that you love us enough to confront us, to challenge us. And you do it with with tender love. And you call us further into your joy. And it's true. It's true. Our delight is found in your presence. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. May there be a deep wonder and a joy and a happiness about following you that affects the work of our hands and how we treat each other. Lord, we love you. Would you do something deep in our hearts with this word this morning? In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.